Hey, everybody. It's Thursday. What a heck of a show. I did some J trades. I made three trades last night ahead of the inflation print today. They're all up, up, up. I'm going to explain the bets I'm making and my portfolio is almost back to even again. This is not yeah. investment advice, but uh, you can fade my trades or you can follow my trades or you can ignore my trades as you wish at jtrading.com. Yeah, we'll go through them. It's a lot of fun. And then, uh, God help us, Sam Bankman-Fried cannot stop pleading his case. He just launched a Substack. I think we could probably take the credit, though. We've mm. been helping to sort of like revitalize Substack, talk about the value of it. Clearly, he must sure. have been reading that and thought, this is the way that I can use this publishing platform to try to get out of the charges against me. And we have the best hot take from our boy, Om Malik, at Om on Twitter. He basically unpacks in 140 characters why SBF has launched a Substack, And I give my plan, I do a little content uh, brainstorming here workshop of what three things Sam Bankman free can add to his Substack that'll help get him a reduced sentence. And it's mm. Thursday. So we know what that means, Molly. Yes, another week of this weekend streaming just in time for this the real kickoff of award season, of course, with the Glo Golden Globes happening. And then we're going to talk about this New Yorker piece about oh, Netflix's yes. approach to content. We'll have a, just a mini debate on whether um, they're throwing money into the Sarlacc pit or whether they're going to conquer the world. It's going to be a great show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Embroker. The Embroker Startup Insurance Program helps startups secure the most important types of insurance at a lower cost and with less hassle. Save up to 20% off traditional insurance today at Embroker.com slash twits. Lemon.io. Hire pre-vetted remote developers. Give 15% off your first four weeks of developer time at Lemon.io slash twist. And Fitbod. Tired of doing the same workouts at the gym? Fitbod will build you personalized workouts that help you progress with every set. Get 25% off your subscription or try out the app for free when you sign up now at fitbod.me slash twist. All right, everybody, welcome to Thursday. We'll have Lon on in a moment uh, to talk about streaming and award season and Netflix and their change in strategy. Uh, yeah. But I guess first up, I made some J trades. Last I was going to say, first up, somebody stayed up a little too late. I like to buy stuff on Instagram. This guy likes to drop many, many, many thousands of dollars on the stock market. <laughs> what? <laughs> Well, I, I still believe that learning the stock market is my, you know, during the recession is my year long passion or one of yep. them. Here we talk about it here on the show. And uh, if you go to jtrading.com, uh, which should work for most browsers, my tech team's having a little bit of a heart problem. But if you just type in jtrading, you should find the coda page we built. And uh, I don't know where I'm at. But uh, it looks like during this time, the S&P is basically even and I'm down 6%. So um, I am trailing the market. It was down like 20% at the peak of this, I, I did say. I think you probably, so you traded last night, right? Because then today, yeah. new inflation data came out that is yes. better than expected. And there's literally a piece in the Wall Street Journal. Like, journalism means never having to say you're sorry. The Wall Street Journal's mm -hmm. like, it looks like maybe inflation was transitory after all. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You actually wrote that? Oh, well, my Lord. And also- it's not transitory, but okay. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't think they're actually, I don't think there's yeah. a technical, this is what I was saying when they first started saying oh. transitory. Everything is transitory. That, what does that word even mean? Time it is means transitory. It yeah. will be this way for a while, and then it will not be that way. No 
Yeah. It's transitory. Sorry about the swears. Well, and then also transitory would mean you don't have to take significant action to fight it. That would, that, would That's the other crazy thing. Right. And I'm like, well, I don't, now I don't think you can say, oh, it was transitory after all, when actually the Fed came and like, broke the back the of the highest, economy to try to rate hikes in <laughs> the history of their actions. Right. Like, I think what this even is like, happens. Yeah. Hmm? So, the, but anyway, as a yeah. result, the stock market is booming. Well, so yeah, if you made your trades before you went to the went to bed last night, then you're having a little I bit did. little bump today. Uh, I did because you know Robinhood lets you trade uh, overnight. But I mean, I basically the concept here is this is an investment advice. I'm trying to find companies that I think could be five times larger in ten years. I'm trying to learn the dynamics of public markets to inform myself. I'm doing this with a small amount of money relative to my overall net worth. So it's like a basically like a million bucks. Just I'm trading here. Um, and so what do you uh, buy? Well, you know, I, I've been thinking about our conversations a lot and which companies I think are poised for greatness over a decade. Right. So everything I'm doing is looking at like a decade long approach to this. Now, sometimes, um, you know, that means that in the short term, you know, you could have ups and downs here, but I, 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 I bought some more Apple. Now, why did I buy Apple? It is shocking how many shares they're buying back, how much cash they throw off. And I just think as we get closer to this AR deployment, the buzz I'm hearing is that they have something very special. So I, I just, I think the developer community rallies around a product from Apple mm -hmm. in a way different than they're going to rally around an untrusted partner like Zuckerberg. Now, this is a, a little bit complex as a trade. I believe the problem with Zuckerberg's bet on Meta is a problem with the lack of trust people have for Zuckerberg. Now, this seems crazy. Not in the slightest. Not to you because you've been covering the company so long. So right. if you double click on the issue, the platform is only going to do as well as the apps that are built for it. Now, when I open up my... my um, Oculus every Thanksgiving, somebody brings a new one, one of my my brother in law or whoever will have a new one, I put it on, I played a racquetball game, the interface is still really clunky, I did lights, the lightsaber game, saber, whatever, the year Beat before. saber, beat saber, you know, and I'm always amazed at the technology, I played a Star Wars game. And this time around, I was like, you know what, my motion sickness didn't kick in until maybe the 30th minute inside the Star Wars game which was massive progress because it usually would be in the first three minutes. So I'm like, okay, the fidelity is getting better. So what will define the winner is who makes the best apps. And you know, I start looking at my Apple watch, which I resisted for seven versions, and then I got it. And now I use on a very regular basis. Um, a number of apps here. Um, I will use slopes. I will use the tonal app, I will use the Starbucks app. Um, looking at my apps here. Uh, I will use uh, iMessage, uh, Peloton's app for my heart rate, and uh, Overcast for podcasts, listening, uh, my alarm, and I answer the phone and I set, um, and mapping directions. I so, and I would say four or five years ago, it was zero because I was on Fitbit. Mm -hmm. So just watching that progression, I hated the watch. I don't wear jewelry. I don't own any jewelry. I don't wear watches. I'm not a watch person. But this has become like when I forget my watch, it's not quite as bad as forgetting my phone, but they kind of got me. Yeah, yeah. I think the apps that are going to come out for the AR glasses out of the gate are going to be pretty darn good. And I mm -hmm. think the lag time between the watch and the 
VR will be a little bit uh, faster. So anyway, that's my thesis. I just yeah. think the apps are going to be great. Yeah. And I think they're going to pull people in. And I think they're going to demolish Facebook, which I'm a shareholder in and happens to be my best trade. But my best trade there is because I think Zuckerberg is cutting staff, right? And I didn't buy more Facebook because it had such a huge run up. I think I'm good with my bet. Listen, I've been dealing with business insurance for three decades, I kid you not. Switching providers has always been a nightmare. Too expensive, takes too much time, and it often doesn't guarantee you're going to get any better coverage. But now, you can make switching radically simple with Embroker. Embroker is the perfect destination for industry-tailored commercial insurance. It's business insurance specifically for startups. Yes, you're listening to This Week in Startups. That's why they're here. That's why we're here. Embroker's single application will help your startup get four quotes for four lines of coverage in but 15 minutes. They match you with expert brokers for unmatched service that goes well beyond your policy. And listen, Embroker is so amazing. I use it. Again, it's just like a testimonial here. I use it. I love it. My team loves it. Makes life easy. Try Embroker today with the code TWIST and you get 10% off their startup package. Embroker.com slash twist. Embroker, E-M-B-R-O-K-E-R.com slash twist. And use that promo code TWIST for 10% off. We love the product. Thanks for supporting us for so many years here at This Week in Startups. All right. So, so you bought some Apple. Anything else? I bought Amazon. And I, this is going to be a cynical trade. Mm. I bought another 500 shares of Amazon, 50, 50 dimes worth, uh, 95 bucks a share. Mm -hmm. Why did I buy Amazon? Because they're making big cuts. Uh, mm -hmm. They're laying people off. <laughs> yep. Murder trade. And it's a murder trade. Mm -hmm. I, the more people they lay off, the more shares I want to buy. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's a bloated company that could be massively more efficient. And I think they overspent. And I think they could have earnings headwinds on the cloud computing business. They could have earning headwinds, you know, in other parts of the business. But if you right size the company and you get rid of the quote unquote surplus elites, you know, the last we talked about this, I think yesterday, like you, you lay off the last 10,000 people, or I think they're up to 18,000 people. And you start selling some factories like this is expense. These are expensive people. The, this is going to go right to the bottom line. I think the trade here is, you know, um, Amazon's fourth pillar of healthcare, which I predicted on, um, I think all in is that all in. one of my yep. predictions that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I think that that could be a really good one. They buy Peloton, they buy whoop, they buy just some other companies, uh, Pranova, whatever, you know, companies they were, they could buy in healthcare. They wouldn't hit Lena Khan. Lena Khan would have a hard time betting. It would be unpopular to stop Amazon from providing healthcare to people. It's hmm. another little rub, right? Like it's mm -hmm. one thing to stop Zuckerberg from buying a social app or to stop Amazon from, you know, doing third party seller stuff or Apple from doing third party app stores. But to stop like the, the lowering the cost of healthcare or education would be highly unpopular. Interesting. Yeah. And so I think I wonder that's, what that's my, the my Amazon trade. I mean, email us producers at thisweekinstartups.com. I wonder what the trust, because for a while there, it was like Amazon was among the most trusted companies in America. I wonder if that's still true. Like, I wonder if what people think about the idea of Amazon being your healthcare provider, fundamentally, like just as a visceral kind of, you know, privacy and trust feeling. Because I agree that anybody who really was like, you know, I mean, people's response when they hear about the Mark Cuban cost plus drug thing or whatever is just like, yes, give it to me. 
But then I if think about the people in my life who are like, I hate Amazon and they're evil and I don't want to shop from them. And I mean, there's not very many in people in my life, but they do yeah. exist. No, it's like my weird red pill brother. Oh, really? Okay. Well, that's different. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just think like there's going to be vocal haters. <laughs> there's going to be vocal haters of every corporation. There's anti-corporate always, people always. and there's a lack of trust. That's what I mean about a corp, like a well-known corporation trying to provide you anything. I, yeah. Uh, it's like, what? Anyway, email us. I, I have no idea. I'm just curious, right? Like I know just, people on both sides. I think it will have to do with how delightful and easy the product is. What do yeah. people want to save? Time and money. People want to save time and money. What does Amazon do? It saves you time. It saves you money. <laughs> when, you're, when you save people time and you save them money or you make them laugh and entertain yep. them, distract them in other words, those three things, oh my Lord, you got a winning combination. Yep. You know, I, I don't think like these things are going to entertain people necessarily, but they're going to save them time and money. It's so funny because that's what your three trades are. Like you were like delightful yep. product, save time mm -hmm. and money, and then yep. your third trade, entertain them, Disney. Exactly. And, oh. uh, you know, it's, it's uh, Disney is just another great trade, I think, uh, right now, because uh, I don't know if you saw Iger increased the number of $104 days at the park. I'm making the trade based on that. There, it's 190 bucks per ticket to Disneyland, I think, on the peak days. So what matters is the number of non-peak days that they offer. This mm -hmm. shows you the greed factor and how much they love their customers as much as like the streaming services and what they pick for it. When I saw the number of 104 days, $104 days, I thought to myself, austerity. Austerity measures, right? Cut yeah. your own tree down, make your own cold brew. I am making a $50,000 trade today on Disney. You know what I did when I saw the $104 thing is I said, I want to take my girls to Disneyland and I want to go on the $104 day. Totally. It makes no difference to me if I bring five people, if I spend 60 bucks, it's $300. Obviously, that's not going to be a game changer for me. Mm -hmm. But I'm going on the $104 day for a reason. I care about austerity. I, whatever, yeah. I grew up poor. It's just the way I think. I want to go on the $104 day. Just like when I ski, I want to ski the two hours in the afternoon on a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, not on the weekends. And I buy the Epic Pass. Cost me $800 because I got the global one this year. I got 14 days in. I literally have a hundred and some odd runs on the mountain. Maybe I'll get a couple more next week. It's $8 per run right now. Last year, I got down to like a dollar per run. Yeah. Or maybe a buck 25. You know, this is how people think. Yeah. This is how people should think yeah. is about value. When Disney speaks value, okay, now you can get seven bucks with a couple of commercials. Now you speak in my language. Mm -hmm. austerity and value is the theme of 2023 that's my one, three trades Amazon, i think we got one minute for one last theme of 2023 which okay. is god What's help that? us sam bankman fried will not oh, go away do we Honestly, want to talk about this or do you have to scamper no i know i'll talk about it really quick we'll, I mean, do, we'll give he, it like three minutes which is all it freaking deserves launch a freaking sub stack this kid a pre-mortem he is literally calling it the ftx pre-mortem review and is allowing people to subscribe for as much as $150 a year. Let's go. Throughout the article, he makes the claim that FTX and Alameda Research were both legitimately and independently profitable businesses in 2021, each making billions. He cited three things that caused the implosion of FTX and they were all bleep, bloop, 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 blah, 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 blah. Like, what, uh, what is he doing? And I think, oh, Malik, you put this tweet in our group chat, had the best take on why he is doing the Substack where he's trying to 
defend all of this and, you know, kind of trick us all again with his chaff out mm. the back of the airplane. And Ohm tweeted, you know, this a-hole is trying to pollute the jury pool everywhere and hoping for a series of mistrials. Helps to so have legal eagles for parents to devise devious strategies. FFS. For Frick's sake. Sorry, I For Frick's guys. sake. I think he's right. I think Ohm Malik. That's a clever take. At Ohm, uh, one of my favorite humans on the planet. Best. Uh, journalist. We came up together and uh, just a great human being. Uh, Ohm nails it. This is, it a, this is a way for him to muddy the waters. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Holmes should have started a TikTok. She would have gotten <laughs> true. Can you imagine Elizabeth Holmes if she was like, look, what's the difference between us pursuing this and, yeah. and Zuckerberg pursuing VR? She yes. could have literally taken that path and said, VR doesn't work. AR doesn't work. They've mm-hmm. only got a couple million people. They've burned tens of billions. We only burned a billion. Right. We were trying to do the right thing here. It, it, technology takes time. And look, these other three people now are uh, making blood testing technology that, that draws less blood. And totally. Apple's working on a watch that's going to try to get your glucose level or, or whatever, you know? I she mean, should she start a, really she should start a TikTok from prison. Somebody get really Elizabeth should. Holmes a TikTok in prison. Because you would, the thing is like, Holmes talk. you literally said it yesterday. It's all about creating some doubt in the minds of a jury. Yes. And well, if you use one. All you need is one to be like, well, they thought they were doing the right thing and they just didn't know. And she's so young and cute. And what, and she, you know, I mean, there are a million Bob parallels Kirk. to people making wild promises that are occasionally getting people killed. And she could have, do- I, I 100% agree with them, which is why I'm not even going to bother to go through the crap that he is spouting on the Substack because it doesn't matter. It's not the point. All right, listen, here's what Sam Bankman-Free needs to do to get off. He needs to go to therapy. And in his Substack, one day a week, talk about his journey yep. in therapy um, and being in a 12-step program, realizing that he was over-medicating himself and making amends, and he should uh, start practicing Buddhism and meditate and post his meditation statistics to his Substack. So the Substack, I'm just doing a little creative I know, content, I just want you to cut this part because he's going to do it and it's going to work. <laughs> just a little, throw in a little meditation. Yeah. Throw in a little Judaism plus Buddhism. He's thinking philosophically. And then think a little bit about your life's purpose. And if he goes a little self-help guru towards the end of a year of it, where he's trying to help people, and he starts helping actual people reading his Substack during the trial, who say, I did Sam Bankman-Fried's you know, combination of meditation and diet. He becomes, because he's already vegan, right? Uh, a little weight loss in there, a little fitness. Uh, some sleep tracking, a meditation, quantified self plus therapy, plus the Buddhism, Judaism, you know, philosophy of life and our place in the world. He gets that self-help trio going. He's getting off. Mm-hmm. I guarantee he gets off. He's now, I, I think he's got a path of, he's going to take three times to get this kid in jail. No, I'm joking. He's, he's, he's going to jail for 30 years. I said, I'm still saying plus 30. I mean, for him right now, I this hope is so. Up. But everything you said just sent me into a despair loop. I'm so tired of that. So tired of our lack of accountability. And he should chat GPT. <sighs> He's got a chat GPT. Once he gets chat GPT, if chat GPT four comes out before this trial, yeah, I think he's going to be able to use chat GPT four to find a defense. All right, I, I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. Let's turn to, to, to you writing yeah, the worst. He's guilty. He's going to jail. You're None writing the worst TV work. script I've ever heard. So let's talk about real TV. With Lon. Real TV and movies, what's coming up? We got Lon Harris for this week in streaming. (laughs) Let's bring him on. (laughs) 
Okay, imagine this. You got an idea for a great tech startup and you think it's going to change the world, but you got a problem. You just don't have the engineers that you need to make it come true. Why? Well, it's obvious. It's hard to find engineers. There's a lot of competition. And hey, you're trying to keep your burn rate low. You need to conserve cash. Now, imagine you had a partner who could provide you with more than 1,000 on-demand developers, right? As many as you need. And these developers were all vetted, experienced, result-oriented, and they were incredibly passionate about helping you grow your startup. And what if they charged, you know, competitive rates, things that you could afford? Does this sound too good to be true? Well, let me introduce you to Lemon.io. Startups choose Lemon.io because they only offer hand-picked developers with three or more years of experience and who have strong portfolios. In fact, only 1% of candidates who apply to work with Lemon.io get in. A couple of our launch founders have worked with Lemon.io and they've had an amazing experience. And listen, I have used outsourced full-time teams for decades, whether it was way back at Weblogs Inc., Mahalo, onto inside.com, at launch. This is the way to do it. Go to Lemon.io slash twist and find your perfect developer or tech team. And you can do that in 48 hours or less. And Twist listeners get 15% off for the first four weeks. Stop burning money. Hire developers smarter. Visit lemon.io slash twist. All right, everybody. It's Thursday. That means Lon Harris is here to talk about streaming. I, I saw Triangle of Sadness. Mm, Has, yes. Did you see that? I have not seen that. No. Ruben Oslund, the director. I, I like his other. He did a movie called Force Majeure a few years ago that I really liked. Ah. This What's was a very interesting film. What is this? Uh, Look at you down your whole like A.O. Scott filmography yeah, see, rabbit he, hole. He ignited your 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 passion for uh, art cinema. I don't know why I have to start with the name. I just got to invoke it immediately and like immediately I, derail it's us. It's a but, preemptive A.O. Scott. Yeah. Um, oh, the obscenely has, affluent. Well, we had the Golden Globes yesterday and uh, that was nice to see that, um, you know, a bunch of people won and there was joy in the world. What what stuck out for you, Elon? Anything there? Oh, from the from the Globes. I mean, the you Globes. know, Dr I like the Globes. I've been to the Globes, by the way. Uh, I did not. Uh, I did not watch. I thought we were. I thought we were not back. Like I thought before the Globes this year. Like they hadn't even had them last year. They weren't even on TV. All of Hollywood was like the Globes are a corrupt organization. They're not diverse. They're not forward thinking. This is. A, it's basically like an old payola scheme from the 50s that has somehow mm. just survived the present day. And so I thought we were like done with the Hollywood foreign press and the Golden mm. Globes. They were just going to go away. But somehow they paid off the right people, the right money <laughs> exchanged hands. They're back on NBC and Peacock this year. And everybody mm. like, you know, celebrities were there. And so suddenly everybody cares again. And it's like they never went away. And so like that to me was the big surprising takeaways like. Oh, we suddenly we're all back and the Golden Globes are 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 suddenly uh you know the thing again. I think the most interesting takeaway in terms of the award season race is we are now really setting up a battle for best actress. I don't remember the last time it was a one-to-one head-to-head Michelle Yeoh for everything everywhere all at once and Kate Blanchett for Tar. They've basically been splitting everything right down the middle all award mm. season. It's very difficult to say at this point. I would say, well, it's, it's going to be easy one to say, of the which was two. a better performance, Lon. Just say it. Interesting. I, I mean, like, I think they're they're both say wonderful. It, I prefer Tar as of my um, of the two films. Tar would be the one I like more. <laughs> but I do think if you're looking at Oscars as honoring not just maybe these one performances, but 
a career, a, 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 a person. Michelle Yeoh has been, I get why people are like, it would be wonderful to see her win Best Actress. She's been doing great stuff for 30 plus years at this point and, and went unrecognized until this year. But no, if it were me choosing, I would, I would give it to Kate. What about you? Molly, you've seen both, right? I have not seen everything everywhere all at once. That's, oh, on, okay. my, that's on my weekend watching now after the um, emotional speech from I yesterday. Enjoyed it. I feel like the hype is a little, a little big for me versus the movie at this yeah, point. Yeah, but I had it. to wait a little. That's one of the challenges is, you know, there could be a great film that if you go in with no expectations can be delightful to you, mm -hmm. like Tar was. But once you something gets a lot of heat, like I'm sure the people after hearing us obsess over tar or, you know, the upset, the, the collective obsession, people might come in and be like, ah, you know, um, right. I think there's another speaking to that as well. That I feel I'm I'm what did old. you say, Molly? Oh. I miss it. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just saying enough time has passed with everything yes. everywhere that I think I can probably go in with just a little bit more of a like a baseline. Ah, got it. Yes. You're not like a part of the hype cycle yeah right i'm right. also like i remember the previous generation of like indie weirdo mm -hmm. art films like yes. when michelle gondry and charlie kaufman and spike jones and all those guys were coming out in the late 90s and early aughts and when i was 20 that stuff blew my mind and so i'm sure if i was 20 today this would be that for me and so I, who am I, who am I to come along and be like, ooh, mm. it's not as good, you know, ooh, it's not the Truman so Show. It's like, well, this is the Truman Show for this generation. Yes. Mm. So that is a, uh, that's a rub there. Yeah, th this is the thing that always, um, with art is problematic, to use a term. You know, you, you, when you're giving an award, you, you're like, well, this person's been looked over for so long, like Scorsese was, right? And... They're like, okay, we're going to give it to him. What did he get it for? Departed, maybe? Gangs of New York. Gangs of New York. And you're like, well, what about Goodfellas? Oh, no, Depart I think you're, yeah, it's Departed. You're right. Yeah. It's, it's like, well, what, what about Goodfellas? Like, oh, yeah, we, oh, Casino. Oh, we missed that. Yeah, we missed that. We missed that. So there is a little bit of the makeup. And the makeup is always challenging because once you make up for one, Molly, yeah. now you're blocking some other transcendent performance. And then yeah. you're constantly doing make goods. Yeah. And that's the ruthless. challenge of these award shows. But it's just but it's all no such a like, come on. There's just no objective answer. Exactly. It's, 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 when it comes the, to best actress. I don't think there's an answer. I don't think there's one. There's You could make a case for a bunch of the nominees every year. And I think it's acting. Yeah. It's one of those things that it's about how it lands, you know, for, for you. I don't there's think just there's no I don't comparison. think there's a, there's a one choice. Cable engines performance it's just nobody else i mean this is why it. award shows are like top 10 lists they're a loser like it's yeah. a bad idea it is <laughs> hey, it here's is a question empirically impossible and it only exists for us to argue and bitch about which is fun don't get me okay. wrong <laughs> what should we molly yes get rid of gender in these award shows should just be like best actor in uh -huh. x y and z and Baby. then just take out male versus female because now you have non-binary folks. You got a whole range of folks doing. Yeah, like, Emma Emma Darcy is kind of forcing this question. Yeah, this year. she was the the older uh, Rhaenyra Targaryen. Yes, from, and she's non-binary. Uh, so, yeah. so, what so, category right, so was she? In? She was in Best Actress. They yeah, they were nominated for Best Actress, but ideally it would just be a non-specific because you know they don't identify right. with with specifically with one or the other. Yeah, what, I mean, then, then, I guess the idea is like then you wouldn't have as many you'd have more you could just would have, you more, have nominees. more nominees yeah you could say 10 acting nominees but you were people be have an opportunity to win but maybe you start to slice and dice like best 
actor in a drama, best, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, it it does kind of make sense, right? It is sort of anachronistic to be like, like even, we even have the lady the... role and the male role. And sometimes right. like you would have a best actor slate that's just a bunch of like mediocre performances. While meanwhile, you have like the best actress slate and it's like transcendent. And so like some dud dude wins, but some, you know, amazing lady gets left out. Right. So like, I think mixing it just to say best empirically, mm -hmm. I mean... I'm, yeah, somebody I mean, just, who, I'm somebody who won a, like a woman's journalism award. And I was like, next year, I want to win the one that everybody can win. Right. Like I want to beat everyone. Right. I don't only want to beat women. Things, like acting journalism. These are not things that there's any logic to dividing them by gender. It's not exactly. like male acting is different from female acting. It's exactly the same. I would want yeah, to beat I mean, everybody. In basketball or MMA fighting, you could make a physiological, uh, I'm, I'm sure controversial as well for some people. But yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I'm making that argument. Um, yeah, I don't want to really bring this discussion up. But, you know, you, there might be a muscle mass or a height issue that there some are activities people may feel, where Right. There are activities where it makes be some sense to, to, to do differentiate this. by gender, but and acting also, is not one of them. Same thing and with also, tennis, right? It's sort of silly that the men play five and the women play three, like. They could obviously go five rounds. So yeah, uh, yes, I'm in favor. I'm in favor. Dump it. Just be bet. Just give. If you are the best actor in the world, be get to be the best. Period. I like that. Get to beat yeah. everybody. I also like that they have at the Golden Globes like the best actor in, I guess, comedy and musicals one group and a drama right. another. I they do like slice and dice. I kind of like that too. It, always, it, it, it inevitably every year leads to these arguments about which movies are considered in which, you know, like, oh, Banshees of Inishir, and how come that gets to count as a comedy because it's so dark or, you know, like, so you always get because there's a lot of stuff that kind of lives on that dividing line. Right. So which I don't, it's not perfect either, but I think that shows will always be stupid. Right. I think that reason. makes more sense to me than doing it by gender. I also think the other benefit of dropping gender is we'd finally get to see all these matchups. We've never like, what if De Niro and Meryl Streep had great performances wow. in one year? They never get to go up against each other I in mean, an I acting watch contest, that. but who wouldn't want to see who wins out? Mm. You know, like I think all these matchups, we've, we've never gotten a chance to play out before. They should have a best sci-fi. I feel like since that's all of our favorite genres, I think genre films, Mm -hmm. As Tarant I just finished Tarantino's book, by the way, um, where he talks about movies, and it was pretty great. Um, yeah. He's a very fearless guy. That's the what I determined. His he he really tackles a lot of subjects that you know are kind of third rails of uh, you know, like we're sort of talking here, gender, race, whatever, in film and portrayals. And uh, I, I I'm surprised the book has not been aggregated a bit with choice moments where he talks about things um, i think it's the same thing dylan is getting away with in his book i'm, I'm reading bob dylan's book about songwriting right now uh -huh. and it's the same thing wherever once in a while dylan will say something and be like people aren't upset at bob dylan for saying that but i think it's that if you're reading that book you're a bob dylan fan you want to hear what bob thinks you're not going to get offended the people who would be upset they don't they're not they don't care not enough to time. read Bob or Quentin's book and find out what they have to say. Ah, oh, that's interesting. So if you have a hot take, do a write a book and then they won't aggregate you like they do write on a, a podcast. Yeah. yeah, write a book that's yeah. for your faithful fans and then don't do what Matthew Perry did and go repeat all the most divisive anecdotes on podcasts Ooh. so people can get mad at you. Um Yeah, you know, it's this is another interesting issue around art 
and uh over time which i guess comes up in tar but um i was listening to some bob dylan and uh some dire straits with my daughter she's really into classic rock and we're billy joel elton john we're just going through the you know we're springsteen how did that happen she just got it independently into billy nope. joel really wow no i just <laughs> put on a song or two and she liked yeah. it um and she likes the lyrics and um, you know, there's a famous Mark Knopfler song, a Dire Straits song, uh, I Want My MTV. And it has uh, a, a slur it's in it. It's called Money for Nothing. Money for Nothing, yes. And it has a slur in it, the F word. Um, but it's the, not the, Mark Knopfler. The Knopfler's slur for gay people, not F U C, not the, the F bomb. It's the, not the bad word for gay people. Right. Yes. Right. And, you know, the, the song now has been uh, redubbed, I guess. Um, but he's talking about a racist person using the term, like a. Right. And then he's not speaking in Mark Knopfler's voice. He's narrating. Yeah. yeah, he's narrating. And then there's another song uh, by uh, Bob Dylan, Hurricane. Mm. You know, it's going through it's got the protest N-word. and justice songs because my daughter has a sense of justice and protest. And, and in this song, they're again quoting another person, you know, a law enforcement official. You know, Dylan actually says the N-word in the song. Yeah. Uh, and so this is a very like high level discussion of like storytelling and using words and storytelling that this generation is like well that's never okay and then okay but is it okay and, and you know, tarantino kind of gets into that a little bit in his book and stuff like that really interesting with art um you know and time which i guess Tarantino yeah. gets into it, with Bob. it's always it's fascinating too with tarantino because he i think he gets he gets a little bit of leeway he gets brownie points because he was so instrumental in the 90s in introducing a lot of these like black exploitation movies would not be where they are today in terms of cultural awareness right. without, yeah. you know, Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown. And I think that, yes. so I think people are like, okay, we'll give him, he gets five extra inches to play around with. Then another white guy might, who, who is coming in just off the street, just because Tarantino has this storied history with black cinema. Yeah. Hmm. Django Unchained and. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's yeah. he's an expert, and he's an aficionado, and he's even people in that world kind of recognize that, like, this guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah. The book's fascinating, um, just talking about the 70s exploitation films and, and just yeah. how, even back then, some of these films were really challenging audiences. Also, it's fascinating, a lot of the films taking place in San Francisco. Uh, San Francisco seemed to be a culturally super relevant zeitgeist mm. of, a, yeah. of a movie location, for whatever reason. Dirty Harry. Yeah, well, that, that comes up a bunch. Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. Um, the right, Laughing listen. Policeman, too, I think, is San Francisco, right? I think Walter Matthau is a San Francisco cop in that one. Yeah. The, uh, the, this is yes, because there's a trolley. There's a famous trolley car scene, so it has yeah. to be. Uh, the Quentin Tarantino book, I highly recommend. Um, if you're into cinema, and it's really, yeah, Cinema Speculation. Right. A book by Tarantino. Um, yeah, right. Dylan's there is called The Philosophy the- of Modern Song. That's the Dylan book. Uh, I am going to read that next. Oh, it's great. He takes, it's, it's just, it's essays and he takes a, a song. So like Blue Suede Shoes is one of the essays. And he just writes an essay about, here's why I love this song. Here's why this song matters. Here's interesting things about the writing. Not his it, songs, just songs. No, uh, not his songs, like other people's oh. songs. I, but it's mostly 50s and 60s, like the stuff he grew up listening to. I think, uh, Elvis Costello's Peace, Love, and Understanding is the most contemporary song. Mm. So it's not Tar on Tar. It is Dylan no, on other. Tar. It's not Tar, tar on Tar. On tar it's, by Tar. 
Yeah, it's Dylan on a bunch of like mostly the the music he was listening to when mm. he was sort of coming up and defining his sound. It's like a lot right. of Little Richard and like a lot of fifties, sixties artists. You know, I've been on a health kick over the past year, and part of that health kick is the greatest fitness app in the world, Fit. Bod. And if you're listening to me right now, you probably care about optimization, right? Saving time, doing things perfectly, and data-driven solutions. You know what? Fitness hasn't had these things until FitBod. FitBod is a data-driven workout app. It blends machine learning with exercise science. They create a custom dynamic program for you based on your fitness goals, based on your experience, and think about this, your available equipment, right? Maybe you're in a hotel, maybe you're at an Airbnb, maybe you're at a blue ground, and you need to use the equipment you have. They're going to maximize your fitness gains by varying the intensity and the volume between sessions as well. And they make these beautiful visualizations of your body and how utilized your muscles are. So let's check out this demo. Let's say I want to get a 30 minute workout in and I want to work on my chest, triceps and my abs, but I'm staying at some, you know, rental and there's no equipment. Well, they'll create a perfectly optimized workout based on those parameters. Let's say I'm in another, you know, hotel and they got a bunch of kettlebells where you go to another location and you got those pulley machines. They're going to make a perfect workout for you. It's amazing. It is one of the most beautiful apps ever made. They get featured by Apple all the time. FitBod takes the guesswork out of fitness. Just open the app and start making progress. Get 25% off your FitBod subscription or try out the app for free when you sign up now at FitBod.me slash twist. That's F-I-T-B-O-D dot M-E slash twist for 25% off. Interestingly, there was this New Yorker story. I didn't have a chance to read it, but I read the summary of it. Uh, and we talked about it on our um, chat, on our group chat. Somebody want to unpack this for us? Um, well, I mean, I'll, yeah, I'll I mean, give the little, I'll give, give us the, the, like, the summary. Give us the yeah. inside. It's well, really in, about, I mean, I guess we should say it's about Netflix. Yes. And Netflix is strategy and shifting strategy and hoped for strategies right yeah and it's a it's focused on beja bajari i'm gonna look up her her title uh who is bella. like she she basically bella she she oversees like uh she basically like the head of content if you think of it like head of development she's overseeing a lot of their like what's netflix licensing what's netflix making she's kind of sitting on top of that process and what i was going to say is in 2020 there was the big story was the woman who had that job was named Cindy Holland. And she was a longtime Hollywood development executive who helped launch. She was the one who helped launch Netflix as a creator of big studio style Hollywood content, like, you know, House of Cards and uh, Orange is the New Black. And like she would have been spearheading that that generation. Uh, and then there was a little bit of a power struggle between Bella Bajaria, who was like the international version of Cindy Holland. So she was working on European acquisitions, Asian markets and Cindy Holland, who was running things in, in the U.S. And then uh, eventually uh, Cindy Holland was let go and Bella Bajaria moved it or, or retired. I mean, I don't think she would. They, they worded it like she stepped down or resigned. Uh, and then this woman took over, became like took over that job. And what I think is fascinating is. There, it's a really 180 strategic difference between these two approaches. Cindy Holland was a very old school Hollywood media development executive kind of approach where like if you think of HBO, FX, what the high end premium content creators are doing, which is working very close, finding the top people who just create the best shows, working closely with them, 
developing shows individually, spending a long time on the process of bringing them together. I mean, exactly like what HBO is doing with all the Game of Thrones series. They're taking years. They're only going to bring one out when it's absolutely ready. Uh, and Bella Bajaria's approach is a much more like just constantly moving through like tons of stuff constantly in development. She's right. checking in on everybody a little bit as they go, but it's more like kind of managing the flow of everything, licensing tons of stuff, keeping an eye on the international markets and looking for whatever's popping. It's and she's focusing a lot less on directly overseeing every piece of content that gets made. Right. I mean, and what this article talks about, too, is this which we've talked about, actually, like I think I have used the phrase trashy populist, <laughs> you know, populist trash, right? Like just put everything out there. And this long New Yorker piece, which is actually really well summarized by a really good Twitter follow Trunk fan, um, points out what critics have called the like Walmartification. But what she says is that, you know, she thinks the ideal show is like a gourmet cheeseburger where it's both premium mm -hmm. and commercial at the same time. And that and I think Wednesday the goal is to replace all television. And I think when you look at stuff Netflix comes out with like Wednesday, to me, that's the exact premium cheeseburger model. Like that's yeah. exactly what they're talking about. Prestige director and Tim Burton looks great. Big stars. It's it's everything. You know, it's got a lot to market. It's Adam's family. It's a it's a famous IP, but it's not trying to reinvent the wheel. It is like a CW Riverdale Buffy the Vampire Slayer type show that is following that formula very closely. And like, not not breaking any real new ground. It's just a satisfying crowd pleasing get Tim Burton in there and make it look Tim Burton-y and it worked. So mashed burger, American cheese because it melts better. Sesame seeds on the bun. Yeah, brioche. it's, it's, it's a cheeseburger, bun. but it's a good a cheeseburger. It's, Maybe this yeah. is how you make a cheeseburger. Ketchup leather. Instead of like just trashy ketchup, you know, <laughs> exactly. But what do we think about this? I mean, ketchup. replace all television, right? That the strategy today is to function as, quote, equal parts HBO and FX and AMC and Lifetime and Bravo and E and Comedy Central. Now, if a founder came to me and said, I'm going to do all this stuff, I'd be like, no, you're not. Like, what I, what do we think about this kind of approach to I'm going to try to replace all television? We're just going to try to eat the world. We don't need to focus. We just need to hoover up content, which, as you know, I think is a financial black hole of a strategy. But also, do you need to focus? I mean, the, the old idea was that networks needed a brand. So like HBO can't get you to subscribe unless there is a brand. And we know what that brand is. The Wire, Sopranos, you know, like that they, they defined what they were. I, I, I think she might be right, though. I don't know if Netflix needs a brand. Netflix just needs to be. There's always something on Netflix when you're ready to pull up Netflix. Bingo. Uh, Netflix is a 25-year-old company. Let's just pause for a second. Wow. It, is a 20, it was founded in 97. People forget the envelope days. And oh, yeah. Just exactly how old this company is. I used to get the envelopes in college, folks. <laughs> yeah. I was on the, they had an unlisted nine uh, DVD plan. And uh, when I was in my youth, I had a piece, I had a DVD reader uh, attached to my PC and I had two PCs in my office and I would get them and I would rip them to my hard drive because oh, I wanted man. to be able to watch them myself. This is yeah. when it was okay to rip a DVD, I guess. Yeah. And um, I would just get the nine. 
I'd rip them all to my hard drive and I kept like a hundred of them at any given time and my hard drive would fill up and then I'd watch them at my leisure and then delete them. Um, putting all that aside, uh, <laughs> piracy, <laughs> what eventually became known as piracy. There's not um, a statute of limitations on that, right? Or 25 years old, I think it's yeah, pretty yeah. good, yeah. Too far. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, a friend of mine was doing that, not me. Mm-hmm. Um, there you go. And, that, was, uh, that was how Netflix beat Blockbuster, was no late fees. You could keep oh, no those little red fees, envelopes yes. as long as you wanted, and you wouldn't get hit with late fees. And people were like, well, why would I go to Blockbuster? This has come to me in the mail, and that's it. So this is just a classic, what got you here will not get you there. What got them uh, to where they were was having a large group of subscribers. That was phase one, right? All those people got the envelopes. Then phase two was they and became very good content. at licensing content, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, then phase three was making their own IP. So they went from, you know, competing against Blockbuster, like we're talking about, then they went to licensing like, uh, you know, like HBO would license movies, they didn't make their own movies all that often. It was pretty, it was pretty close. Like once they launched their own streaming platform, Lillehammer was pretty hot on the, the, that was soon. And that was an acquisition. That was a European produced show that they came in and right. grab but right so, after that was when you got house of cards oranges the yes. new black and they started to come out with some of their own stuff and they said hey let's follow that hbo let's be premium we only have a certain number of bullets to fire so of course we're gonna be thoughtful and then and yeah became, house of cards at the time was a huge a huge movie star in the lead which never happened on tv right. david fincher directed those first few episodes yeah. people forget that yeah it's very high so, profile you know when you have it when you're making a small number of shots they're going to be sniper shots well, then you get to, you know, 200 million people on a service around the world. And, you know, it's, it's got to be a factory by definition. And they, if you're not going to unsubscribe, what's a way to get people to not unsubscribe? Either your HBO and you're the high end and people can't live without your next elite piece of content, or you're going to just have enough in there that people are like, you know what, there's some Sebastian Chappelle comedy is going to come up some squid game out of left field. Ozark, right. there's something is gonna is gonna hook me. And that's what gets you to point A to B to C to D in business is different. You know, if you look at Microsoft now when they acquire a company, they say it outright, like this thing's gotta have like a billion dollars in earnings potential. If it can't throw off a billion in earnings, not just even top line, well we can't buy it. It's this waste of our time. And and that's really where it's obvious they've gotten to. The I mean, one more thing is. I would I say is on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, I, I mean, I just feel like 100% all of that is true, but this is a race to zero. Like, the let's just say, you you know, what got you, Max didn't get you all the way there, so you had to invent iPhones. Fine. That's a high margin product. Mm. Content is the most expensive business you can be in. You're just throwing money. So the idea of, okay, well, we'll get people there by always having something on means you're always creating content and your subscriber margins have to i mean maybe the advertising right right? like maybe launching the ad supported model is the only way you get those margins up but i just wonder like it's really easy to build a business on the back of someone else's content but making your own is like an endless black hole i think that's one of the big things this whole shift in strategy is addressing is they can't constantly churn out premium expensive content they've got to limit that to like the ones that are going to hit big out of the year your 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 wednesdays your the crown squid game uh and then but unlike a tv network where every piece of content has to kind of live or die on its own you've got to sell sponsors on this show and if you can't sell sponsors on this show they'll pick the next show netflix can kind of get away with like 
people don't really like Ginny and Georgia. Poorly reviewed, not a big hyped show, but it always ends up on the Netflix top 10 chart. People will watch it if it's thrown up in front of them. And I think Mm. that's what Netflix is getting better at doing is those shows that they can toss off for not as much money. They're more the equivalent of a basic cable show than an HBO show, but they can still... You'll watch Kaleidoscope just because it's on. It doesn't need to be the biggest hype thing of the year. And I think that that might, they might be able to eventually hit that sweet spot. Yeah. Let's not forget, though, that this thing makes a lot of money. Eight billion a quarter, 32 billion a year. Still growing. And, you know, they kind of started hitting a little bit of a ceiling there um in some markets even some decline in the u.s etc uh you know people with a little austerity measures maybe but now that they're adding that advertising tier and who knows i think you know they might even have a free tier at some point for some of the old archive my prediction would be this archive gets bigger and bigger if you're a premium subscriber you know you're going to get everything but if you're like there's no reason ozark uh you know in year 10 in the archive or orange is the new black after the series has wrapped could not be a hundred percent 20 minutes of advertising supported um, and there could be a free tier eventually. So this thing is going to get to a billion users, I believe maybe a half billion free, a half billion paid, um, you know, and or subsidized, right? $32 billion buys a hell of a lot of content a year that archive builds up. And now my understanding, you correct me if I'm wrong, Lon, is uh, because there might not be as many competitors competing because we hit hit that peak television. And we see Warner Brothers cutting, HBO cutting. Each show is going to cost less. They're going to tighten the belts there. There'll be less buyers. And so maybe they hit some efficiencies in content. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's for sure coming. We were in an era Mm -hmm. of absolutely unprecedented, unsustainable growth in terms of how many shows and films were just raw being produced per year. And like that was Ben Affleck had that quote where it's like, we're just just making too many things. You can't possibly make them all good. There's just not enough people to manage them. And so I think, yeah, now that that's dipping, all sorts of savings are going to come in. It's less competitive for talent. It's less competitive for pr- places to produce your show and, and sets and uh, your crew and, and camera ops, everybody, everything, every, the price comes down and everything because there's fewer people trying to buy everybody up and scoop everybody's time up years in advance for their production slates. And so, yeah, as, as, as all of that slows down. There will be opportunities for all of these streamers to save. And then it, I, I feel like Peacock, not, there's not going to be a Peacock much longer. I feel like mm-hmm. they already have sort of figured out they can't, even if the shows are really good, they can't get a wide enough audience on Peacock. So they're starting to move shows off like mm-hmm. Girls 5 Eva, which was on Peacock for two seasons, is going to go to Netflix for season three because it's a hit and they can't get enough people on Peacock to see it. Same with Chucky. And so, you know, I, I feel like that's going to be the next one to drop, I think. Hmm. Um, all right. Well, if, if Netflix is rabid capitalists who don't care about winning awards anymore, or maybe like some awards just to like, you know, keep the brand name up. Um, let's talk about awards. Other people are going hard. What I, you know, will fully acknowledge that this is one of those years where I've seen nothing, which is most years, but at least I've seen Tar. So like, I'm ready <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if that happens. <laughs> of the best pictures, you've only seen one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I've seen and every year uh, I'm like I'm top gun. You didn't see top gun. Is that for best picture? Well, we don't know. Oscar nominations aren't out yet, but it's looking it's looking good. And Joseph Kaczynski just nabbed a DGA nomination for director, so he remains in the mix as well. 
I, I'd say it's fairly likely. I still How come they're nowhere in the like Vegas insider odds, which is weird. Really? I still, yeah. I mean, there was, there was talk early on of is Tom Cruise possible in the best actor category? I don't think that's going to happen. But Kaczynski as director in the film, I think is very, very. Why popular. not? Why wouldn't Tom Cruise get a. There's, nod? there's an, I, there's a one, I mean, there's the personal stuff that, that it's always a little hinky to nominate Cruise for things because of the Scientology connection. People are, some people are a little creeped out by him. He's really? a, seen, that's why? He's seen as a bit of a divisive figure. So that's one. The other one is that movie and that performance is seen as like, it's him doing Tom Cruise. And I, I, don't, like, I don't agree with this. I think I, he's a great actor and it's a terrific performance. But I, I kind of can't believe that like Tom Cruise can't get nominated for Scientology, but you guys can sit here and talk about Bob Dylan and Quentin Tarantino, who are both just, you yeah. know, credible women haters. And Uma Thurman is like, Quentin tried to kill me and whatever. Bob but like, Dylan's that's fine. Yeah, We're I still, Bob Dylan I, was like accused I of mean, raping a 12 year old. Like, what? I mean, it's just that, like the, those I mean, I'm charges just saying were, the shifting those, those standards, those were dropped. I'm just saying yeah, the shifting standards here are astonishing. Like, but Tom Cruise is too creepy. Like, oh, okay. I didn't, I'm sorry. I love Tom Cruise. Catch me up on I'm who's not, too creepy. I'm not saying this about me. I would nominate Tom Cruise for everything. I'm a big fan. I'm, I'm just not saying, yelling at you guys. I'm yelling at the world. I do oh, think okay. the science. is like, yeah. wait a second. I don't I even do know think about the Scientology connection. Acquisition, accusations. You know, every, he, sorry, it, it, it's, it's part of his public persona. And it's, uh. it, it, I, I don't think you can, you can, it's, you can't extract it. It's, it's always there. I mean, that was the big news from the Golden Globes was Jared Carmichael. He wasn't even there. And Jared Carmichael made a Scientology joke. Mm. He I brought mean, on two, weird. He no, brought no, on two actors from, uh, from Top Gun and he, he brought out the three Golden Globes that Tom Cruise returned during the controversy. And he said, maybe we should exchange these for Shelley Miscavige, the missing wife of the, <laughs> the president of Scientology. Yikes. So Cruise wasn't even in the building and they were making Scientology jokes about it. Interesting. Anyway, um, what are we thinking? What are we but thinking? I don't we got our- Brad Pitt was there in the audience who Angelina Jolie has recently accused of battering her. And people were like, Margot Robbie was right. toasting him. I mean, it's so just it like, no it, it. honestly, it's the, the shifting like, okay, and not okay. And this is fine. And this is not fine. It's just like, you can't even keep track. However, I will fundamentally say, I'm not sure that like, the acting in Top Gun is what we were there for. Like, I'm not, you know, like, I wouldn't say... <laughs> Maverick. I, I, agree. I think he's great. I think Powell's great. I thought Val Kilmer was was very good. Let's <laughs> see. Like I, yeah, and, he's great acting. Does it have to be? They're acting against like eight G's of pressure. Like they're really in fighter jets doing tricks and acting at the same time. That yeah. adds a level of difficulty. All mm. right, fair, fair. Okay, hey, cool. You know, if Tom Cruise doesn't get Rain nominated, Man I'm gonna on the Fourth of July, right? I mean, I oh, he totally Tom was. Is a I just mean actor. that. I'm only talking about Tom Cruise in that role. Huh. Like, I just I think he is a, an awesome Maverick. Yeah, I mean, I think Tom is Cruise that is a great role. In a we're bunch really gonna like, you know, Magnolia, Jerry Maguire. Exactly. Magnolia. All, if he got nominated for Magnolia and Jerry Maguire, I'm there. Like, I'm just yeah. saying. In the case of Maverick specifically, I wanted to win I, lots of things, but I'm not I sure. I really go good like, in that movie. I don't know. I I, I do. I think that we we tend I'll watch to watch it for the fifth do. time tonight, and then I'll decide. <laughs> She'll let us know. The I other four nominees the- she hasn't seen, yeah. but she will have seen Maverick five times. Yeah. Um, I think performances where the actors really lean into their personas tend to get overlooked. We assume that that's easy. They uh, they can do that in their sleep, but it's not as something that's like Brandon Fraser in The Well, which I haven't seen. I'm waiting it to hit streaming. A huge departure for him. So to right. speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huge departure. Yeah, a Got huge. It. Yes, he's an enormous departure. I see what you did there. 
Yes, an enormous. See what you did there, or even like um, Jamie Lee Curtis in Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is like, I mean, she's fine, but I think that that it seems like great acting because she looks so different. It doesn't seem like Jamie Lee Curtis. She's mm. playing dowdy, frumpy, and so we're like, ah, that's unrecognizable. And so that feels like more acting. But I don't know if what she's doing is any more impressive than what Tom Cruise is doing. Is yeah, there like Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder? is funny and different right. and more notable to some people. But Tom Cruise in Maverick, I think, is a, a killer performance. I don't There's know. that part right before he pushes above Mach 10. You know, he's at Mach 10, he's hit it, and then he's like, could we Could we do 10.1? And he, yeah. like, raises his eyebrow a little, and it's very mm. subtle. And you got to remember, he's in a jet. Like, he's making that <laughs> acting choice as he's in a jet going, I like, Mach this. 7 or something. I never okay, would have guessed that I would trigger an impassioned defense of Tom Cruise's acting, but I'm yeah. happy. I'm happy with this outcome. This is an outstanding best, outcome. Best actress odds, Cate Blanchett, plus 175. These are provided by uh, DraftKings. Yeah. Uh, plus 175. So you, you put 100 bucks down, you win 175. So that means she is the odds-on favorite. Michelle, uh, is it Yo? I believe yo. it's Michelle Yo. Yo, uh, for everything, everywhere, all at once. For as you're saying, like the career, maybe this performance is amazing. She's sixty and she years old. She just won the Golden Globe. She just won the Golden Globe. Yeah, so this was plus seven hundred before that. I think that maybe I kind of like the Michelle bet at plus seven hundred because you, when you're making these bets, you, it's not just who you think's going to win. I think Kate's going to win, but it only pays off one seventy five. Michelle for everything all at once plus seven hundred feels like a it's better. A, it's bet. a it's a big movie. It's a crowd favorite. She's a legend, an icon from not just and like Oscar's you know not so even white, not right. And it, it's not just from this country, but she's you know got huge fans in China and Asia. Like I, I feel like it would be there's a there's a lot of reasons to give it to her, and it's a great performance. She's very good. Also, things I love about Michelle Yeoh include everything and also the fact that she's like up for an Oscar for this movie and she's in The Witcher Blood Origin. Right, like, like she just that, she's like, I do what I want. It's cool love that her. she's also capable of just like doing an, a crazy martial arts sequence just as effectively as being like the scary mom from Crazy Rich Asians. It's like she can yeah. she, she can do both. She is versatile. Very, very versatile. Uh, when is the, the Oscars or when? When do the Oscars are well, the like nominated the Oscars are like yeah, in March not usually. for another like month or so we'll get the Oscar nominations pretty soon though within a week mm. or two I think All right, well we should do a little Oscar pool we should do a little Oscar pool mm. put a hundred bucks in and like get everybody to do a little pool here it's a tough year to call there's there's, there's a bunch Tom of big Cruise. Elvis and Banshees <laughs> of Inishirin and there's a bunch of movies kind of duking it out for the for supremacy right now so it's an interesting year and Spielberg always when you have Spielberg in the running a Spielberg film you know, like there's, it's up for that like, DGA award. One, he won the Golden Globe, so uh, you know, maybe making a late, making a late run at it, Steve. I'm I didn't think enough people Indiana saw Jones that film. Five. Well, that's James Mangold is taking over. This is the first I one know, Steve's not going to direct. I know, but I'm still excited for oh, Indiana cool. Jones Five. Yeah, I'm excited, of course. I you, right. you saw the uh, you short short rounds. Um, yes, of course. And he's the odds on at this point, he's taken all the major awards. So he's definitely your odds on favor for supporting actor if you're an Oscar watcher, by the way. So yeah. what if there's one movie in advance of the Oscars themselves and the nominations that I have to watch? I mean, it sounds mm. like clearly everything everywhere. All at once. I definitely you need gotta, to watch. You got to watch everything everywhere. Is there all another once. one that I should did really you, you make sure? Ben, she's a Vinishir in yet with Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. That's on HBO Max now. And that's definitely going to win some one okay. or two big things. So you'll like Banshee's screenplay, blah, blah, blah. Farrell's a, a possible. Gleason's going to be up for supporting actor. Uh, like, what kind of rock do I live under? I've like never even heard any of these titles. 
And we do uh, this that's every Martin week. Martin McDonough who did In Bruges. This is like an In Bruges reunion because Farrell and Gleason were both in that. And it's the same mm. writer director. But he also did last or a few years ago, he did three billboards outside Ebbing, right. Missouri with Francis McDormand. That's the gotcha. same. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll check. I, I'll I want to see the Banshees. Uh, oh, it's good. It's, 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 it's very like darkly funny, but very funny. Yeah. A lot of people talking about it. So I'm excited to see it. All right. Well great. done, Lon. We'll see you uh, next so. week. Thanks for catching time. us up on all things streaming. Of course. Bye-bye.